dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. It has been said that human society can be divided into those who have and to those who have not. For many, this opposition is the source of a lot of contention and fighting. But does it have to be this way? In his encyclical Rerum Novarum, Pope Leo XIII uses this very question as an opportunity to present an attractive proposition of the gospel. In fact, Christians need to fill the space of possessions, talents, needs, and wants with Jesus Christ. This is the role of the Catholic leader. All right, everybody, I want to approach a question with you now that I think is a little bit more provocative than usual, especially in today's uh, worldview. And it's really the question of how do we deal with the disparity between the rich and the poor, between those who own businesses and those who work for them? Okay, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because, honestly, we all know that this is at the foundation of the communist mentality of the world, that you divide social classes and you put them against each other so as to provoke conflict, so as to create a new social order. And we're seeing that same d- disparity and that same pattern play itself out today in many different places. And so I don't want to go so far as to get into a commentary on, you know, who's communist and who's not and, and what's true or right about that. But I do want to point out that we live in an, in an era where that type of pattern is becoming visible and being played out in front of us over and over again. And that's what I find so refreshing about Pope Leo XIII's document, Rerum Novarum, which was written admittedly 140 years ago. Okay, this is 1891. So just, just a little over 130 years ago, he writes this document and what he writes there is still being played out today, still being found today. And therefore his answers are very relevant for us. So, and it's relevant for us at a big picture in terms of what our society ought to do, but it's also relevant to us individually to help us deal with one of the, the most pressing problems that Catholic business leaders face today. And that is, what do we do with our wealth? I've had this happen so many times with with, uh, folks that have sat me down and said, Father, I want to be a good believer. I want to follow Jesus Christ, but I do not know what I'm supposed to do with the fact that I'm extremely successful. All right, so is it wrong to have a second house? Is it wrong to have a big boat? Is it wrong to have an airplane? Just how much wealth is too much? And at the same time, if I didn't have those things, right, I would also not be living up to a certain either a necessity of social standing and decorum, or I wouldn't be able to run my business successfully. And frankly, a lot of times folks will just say, I mean, didn't I earn it? You know, just like, how far do you go? And I can understand this because if you flip it to the other side of the table and you see 
how many good people are eking by with huge concerns about health care, not able to pay for their children's surgeries that they need or, or not able to pay for Catholic education in schools, right? And, and, and you see that disparity and you say, gosh, I mean, everybody's the same. Why should some have and some have not? And if you don't have a lot, does that mean that somehow you're cursed or you have to accept uh, uh, to be looked down upon by those who do have? And, and, you know, admittedly, this takes place even in Catholic circles and regrettably because you can have even in the Catholic sphere a kind of division where those who have a lot of goods act differently. They associate differently. They can even act as if they have a lot uh, more value than those who don't. And admittedly and regrettably, those who don't have a lot in terms of, of monetary gain can sometimes take on a demeanor that, that is that of a victim or don't even live up to a higher standard uh, of living themselves in terms of the moral rectitude that they could. And so you have both classes, in a sense, being absorbed by their economic situation. And that's, my friends, what's so refreshing about Pope Leo. He wades into this discussion and he says that it's not really a problem to have money or to not have money. I mean, even though not having money is obviously has disadvantages to it. But he says that's really not the problem. The problem is what the money does to you. Okay. And, and the real focus and genius of Christianity is to say that the moral rectitude of a person is what makes them great. He points out the fact, for example, that Jesus Christ was not n uh, numbered among those who were rich. He, he, in fact, it says, it says that whereas he was rich, for our sakes he became poor. That's even right there in the, in New, in the New Testament. St. Paul pointing out that Jesus became poor. And who, says Pope Leo, being the son of God and God himself, chose to seem and to be considered the son of a carpenter. Nay, did not disdain to spend a great part of his life as a carpenter himself. So really pointing out that if it's good enough for Jesus, you know, you shouldn't hang your head down or allow yourself to, to be disgraced just because you don't have anything. But then you see that begs the question, what is our vocation? What are we supposed to do with respect to wealth? Right? The first point that I'd like to make is one he makes himself. Here it is, a direct quote from Pope Leo in paragraph 24. He says, From contemplation of this divine model, it is more easy to understand that the true worth and nobility of man lies in his moral qualities, that is, in virtue. That virtue is, moreover, the common inheritance of men equally within the rich of high and low, rich and poor, and that virtue and virtue alone, wherever found, will be followed by the rewards of everlasting happiness. Now, this is a, a, a way that I, I think is very helpful to look at it. Think of wealth as being a weight that is on top of your roof of your house, right? The stronger the weight, the more wealth you have, the stronger the walls and the frame needs to be in order to support that weight, right? Well, possessions on the outside are just that. They pull us in different directions, they come with obligations that we have to service in one way or another. And with great power comes great responsibility, which means you have to be ready to carry that responsibility of the power. The goal, in other words, ought not to be someone who has power. The goal ought to be someone who's capable of bearing that power well and of wielding it for the good. 
And that is a work on the inside of us. That's the work of the virtues and acquiring true character, dignity, honesty, the ability, in other words, to be more and bigger than everything that you possess. If you don't, then what you possess will crush you. It will become too much for you to bear, right? And, and, and in the same way, if we don't have those possessions, the goal is also virtue. Our greatness, in other words, might not be recognized by the society around us. It doesn't need to be. Our greatness is in, the fr in front of God. And some of the greatest human beings who ever walked the face of the earth did not have a lot of possessions or power, right? And yet they were great. Like think of the Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, St. John the Baptist, and of course, Jesus Christ himself. It's like that, that little quip goes, name for me the wealthiest man in Assisi. <laughs> right? No one can name the wealthiest man in Assisi, but all of us can name the poorest man in Assisi, St. Francis of Assisi, who is one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth, right? And this is the, the beauty of Christianity. God focuses us on the inside. And for those who have the goods of this world, you need to have a commensurate and even a greater strength on the inside of you of integrity and love and dignity and character. And then all that you have becomes a gift that you can actually use, as we know, for the betterment of the world. The Bible is full of examples of those who had wealth and who followed Christ and who helped the church and whose help was absolutely essential for the church's growth. And many saints who, in fact, were wealthy. Right? But it also shows us the dignity of the poor that comes from the inside. And this is what's so important because it allows us to bypass that tension that we are seeing being played out in front of us in society between the haves and the have-nots. How wonderfully refreshing to hear a Christian perspective saying it's not whether or not you have something or, or, and not whether or not you don't have anything. It's a question of who you are. And that's where the Christian genius is focused. And that's where our attention needs to be too. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So Pope Leo XIII's encyclical, Rerum Novarum, is full of jewels, just full of great nuggets that we can really sink our teeth into and that become practical for us in our leadership in our world today. In paragraph 20, for example, he lays out the basics between business owners and employees, right? He calls them the employer and the employee or the proletarian and the worker, right? And it's kind of neat because let's, let's look what he says. He says, there are duties here that bind each. Fully and faithfully, the worker needs to perform the work which has been freely and equitably agreed upon, never to injure property, nor to outrage the person of an employer, never to resort to violence in defending their own cause, nor engage in riot or disorder, and to have nothing to do with men of evil principles who work upon the people with artful promises of great results and excite foolish hopes which usually end in useless regrets and grievous losses. Okay, so it's kind of neat. He's, he says, if you are, in other words, an employee, there are things that you owe to the employer. And the very first thing that an employee own, owes to their employer is to fully and faithfully perform the work which has been freely and equitably agreed upon, right? So, and to not cause trouble and to not do what's wrong. 
So a, a Christian would say, look at that and say, yes, that's basically the essentials there of things. But it's already an essential that I think we can do well to indoctrinate into our children. Because are we teaching our kids how to work properly? I'm not quite sure. I think that a lot of young adults are getting how to work from either TV or just pure instinct. And that art of educating a child underneath you about the expectations of doing work, that you do it honestly, you do it fairly, you, you check in on time, you check out on time, that this is something that keeps and builds our society up from the inside. You bring a moral character and moral rectitude, in other words, into your work. I like to think of it this way. Everything that we do as employees, we sh should be something that we're proud to sign our name on, right? I put my name behind this. This work comes from me. And my work is a reflection of my identity and who I am. Now, I, admittedly, the employers can do a lot to help that situation and to foster that sense of dignity, but it ultimately has to come from within each worker. And that's a decision that I think a lot of people need to make with the help of their parents and grandparents, reminding them and teaching them that work is not something that they do in order to get a paycheck. Work is something that they do in order to improve the world by, the, by deploying their own skills and their own talents at, at the service of their fellow human beings, right? And so that's an ethical sense. And what a wonderful advantage again for Christianity. Why is it that a Catholic priest founds the St. John Leadership Network and sits here doing these podcasts and making all kinds of classes and teaching everyone? Why, what does the priesthood have to do with that? The priesthood has to do everything with the human person. And the human person engages in work. And therefore, the priesthood supporting the human person will help every human person to engage themselves correctly, adequately, and even exceptionally in the workplace. Let me remind you that work and good work is a witness that we owe to the world, that we come from God, and that this world matters in the eyes of God. How can you expect people to believe in Christianity when Christians don't even have the courtesy to leave the world better and to improve it, but instead, just like everybody else, just take advantage of whatever's in front of them for their own selfish gain? Well, in the same way, there are duties that bind the wealthy owner and the employer as well. If we're going to talk about establishing a good ethic and a moral basis for work, it goes both for the employee, but also for the employer. Here's what he says. Number one, not to look upon their work people as their bondsmen, i.e. their slaves, right? But to respect in every man his dignity as a person ennobled by Christian character. Right? So first of all, that's amazing. To look, to look at the people who are working for you as Christians themselves, as those who have been baptized and called into the kingdom of heaven. And even, of course, if they're not baptized, to look at them with that same dignity. To, to never look at your people as things to be used, but actually as colleagues who are engaged in the same mission. That's the first thing that we owe them. He continues, they are reminded that according to natural reason and Christian philosophy, working for gain is credible, not shameful to a man, since it enables him to earn an honorable livelihood. But to misuse men as though they were things in the pursuit of gain, or to value them solely for their physical powers, that is truly shameful and inhuman, right? So the, the duty that an employer owes to their people is to treat them with the full dignity of a human person, 
right? And of course, we can see the many ways where we can be tempted not to do that and the many ways where that, could, that actually could lead to an abuse. It's, it's to treat them as, it says, it's shameful and inhuman to do the contrary, right? Well, where do I get the strength to overcome the urgency of the needs that I have? I mean, I've got to make that bottom line you know, I got to make a, pro- a profit here. And I also have to balance all the things that are thrown my way. The easiest thing to do is to drive my people without that sense of their dignity. And that's again where my moral rectitude comes in. This is why it's so important for the church to be preaching to you business people. Because you need to hear that on the other end of everything that you're doing there in the workplace, there's the effects that God wants to bring into the world through you. You are his instrument either as an employer who's employing many people and therefore can lift up the lives of all those people who are there in the business. Everyone working for you is a mother or a father or an aunt or a brother or a sister whose way of looking at themselves will be forged by the way you look at them in the workplace. And if you give them dignity and treat them with honor and call them into a, a deeper dedication for, of who they are towards their work, you're going to make an impact in the way that they treat their kids, their spouses, their brothers, their sisters, nieces, and nephews back at home. And that, of course, is an amazing responsibility. And for those of you who are working for someone else and are an employee, what an amazing thing also to see that you are God's instrument. As you do that task well, and you insist upon the quality that you can give and that you bring the best of yourself to that job every single day so that through you, God can make this world a better place. This is why he goes on to talk about the employer again. And he says, the employer is bound to see that the worker has time for his religious duties. Isn't that refreshing? <laughs> the employer is bound by the, says the Pope, to make sure that their employees can go to mass. It doesn't say to go to Mass every day, <laughs> but at least on Sundays. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's an amazingly powerful thing there, right? He says that he not be exposed to corrupting influences or dangerous occasions, and that he not be led away to neglect his home and family or to squander his earnings. Furthermore, the employer must never tax his work people beyond their strength or employ them in work unsuited to their sex and age. His great and principal duty is to give everyone what is just. Wow. Now, of course, that is difficult, but that's why you're here. You know, we're here at the St. John Leadership Network to give you that type of formation. How is it that I can do that? Well, of course, there are many ways for you to make sure that you do it. But first of all, is to recognize my job, in other words, is not to be a charity. My job is not just to do everything that, you know, to help everybody in every way possible. I have a job and it's to give what is right and just to my people. And part of that justice is to make sure that they're treated like people, like the fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, colleagues, fellow citizens that they are. It's not because I have power over them, in other words, in the workplace, that I'm better than them. And employees, it's not because you don't have power that somehow you're worse than the employer. All of us need, in other words, to look at what we're doing in the perspective of God and to do it under his watchful care. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www. 
www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So Pope Leo XIII continues in Worm Navarum, paragraph 21 with a real jewel. And I, I love to bring this one out in front of everyone because this is a, a real powerful statement he's going to make. And you might find it a little bit on the morbid side, meaning it it's, it's talks about death. But you know what? It's the one thing that we can be sure is going to happen to us, <laughs> that we're going to die, everybody. And so he puts that out as a real axiom to help us understand what's so great about the call of Christ to bring him into the world of work. And basically what he says is that we need to become detached. We need to become detached. And I love this because when you think about a lot of the political machinations that are, are taking place, which in the end use us all. I mean, let's just be honest. Like we're pushing things forward, agendas forward, but the agendas are actually pushing us forward. Okay, that's, what, that's what's sad about this. And, but it all beyond, how can, I, how can I be a Christian engaged in the world without allowing the obsessions of the world to overcome me? And this is what's so beautiful. Or it's the same thing. How can I own a business where I've got all these problems and still have my soul free for God? How can I work or be over, overwhelmed with the needs that I have financially for my family and, and be looking for that, that raise and that promotion in the workplace, right? How can I do that and not be full of anxiety and fear? And the Pope gives us this principle, that of detachment. And what gives us the power to become detached? He says it here. He says, the church says that the things of earth cannot be understood or valued aright without taking into consideration the life to come, the life that will know no death. Exclude the idea of futurity and forthwith the very notion of what is good and right would perish. Nay, the whole scheme of the universe will become a dark and unfathomable mystery. Now, I wish he would have written that in plain English. So let me just read it. <laughs> just, I'll translate it here for you into plain English. And what he's saying is, if we're supposed to live for heaven, everybody, and if you take that out and say, no, 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 that doesn't count. Imagine there's no heaven, right? Well, if, if you do that, he's like, then you have no idea how to live on this earth. The fact is, knowing that we are doing things here below for the sake of something better to come gives our life be below here a lot of purpose and a principle by which we can make good decisions, right? He says, the great truth which we learn from nature herself is also the grand Christian dogma on which religion rests as on its foundation, that when we have given up this present life, we shall really begin to live. God has not created us for the perishable and transitory things of earth, but for things heavenly and everlasting. He has given us this world as a place of exile and not as our abiding place. As for riches and the other things which men call good and desirable, whether we have them in abundance or are lacking in them, so far as eternal happiness is concerned, it makes no difference. Now, isn't that amazing? Said, so the Pope is really pointing us to say, hey, Christians, you need to be Christian. And, and here's the power of that. When you make that your goal, then suddenly you start to build up the inner self. And if you build up the inner self, then you're able to dispose of the wealth that you have properly 
without allowing that wealth to eat up your own soul, right? And, and dissolve you under its weight. And you're also able to, to disregard the difficulties that come with a social status, which it comes from not having things and hold your head up high with the dignity of what you truly have and who you truly are. Both the rich and the poor need to put their eyes on heaven and realize that every one of us who's on the earth can become a saint every day, wherever we are, and that that's our real goal. I mean, what a strong and what a beautiful teaching. I mean, because right away, that allows us then to engage in this world as if the world mattered, but not to think that it matters too much. <laughs> you know, I mean, the world matters and making these decisions matter, but everything in due proportion. We believe everyone in a God who's bigger than this world. Right? And, and therefore, God is using us to his ends. And there are things that I can do by being an employee that I can't do if I'm an owner. And there's things that I can do if I'm poor that I could not have or things that I can enjoy being poor that I could not enjoy being rich. Right? And, 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 and vice versa. The Pope is really challenging us here. I mean, are you a Christian or are you not? Are you living for heaven or are you not? If you are, then it'll change everything. You won't fall into the dialectic that causes us into a division and tensions and then ultimately into violence. Communism is resisted by Christianity. And I would go so far as to say in today's world that Christianity is the only hope for us to resist the social violence that comes from a political world that moves by division. And that's why the Pope goes on to talk about the fact that, yes, you have a right to own things. You have a right to have money, but you don't have the right to use the money however you want. This is an important thing because a Christian, in other words, is bound by a judgment that comes from God. And God wants us to, yes, have enough. Yes, live well according to our status in life, but to not have too much. And to be ready to give and to supply for the needs of the poor. Doing charity, giving alms is essential for those who have and possess a great deal on the earth. St. Thomas Aquinas says, how must one's possession be used? And he says, man should not consider his material possessions as his own, but as common to all, so as to share them without hesitation when others are in need. This is why St. Paul would say, command the rich of this world to offer with no stint to a portion largely. And to the poor, the Pope says, focus on building virtue. Do not allow your, your poverty, in other words, to become an excuse for vice. And of course, a victim mentality or a constant uh, antagonism against those in the world who do have things won't get you anywhere. And both of these, the Pope puts forth this principle. Live as if heaven existed. Live as if you were instruments of God while on this earth. Realize that your worth comes from what is inside of you and put your focus on building that up. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.